The new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced is now supercharged with CoQ10. Support your healthy CoQ10 levels and blood pressure with two chews a day. Visit RadioBeatsBeets.com and save 15% with promo code DEAL. Hello and welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I am your host, Katie Weber. My recent diagnosis of ADHD completely turned my world upside down, and now I'm interviewing other women who were diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and are finally feeling like, for the first time, they understand who they are and how they can best lean into their strengths, both professionally and personally. In this episode, I interview Barbie Haven. Barbie is an author, a motivational speaker, certified life coach, beach body coach, and CEO of Desired Lives, where she helps career women and entrepreneurs create self-care routines that last so they have more joy, energy, and success in business and in life. We talk about the importance of self-care as well as her transformational experience as a young woman navigating life with an addict and her recovery from codependency, as well as her passion for empowering other women to put themselves at the top of their own list. All right. Well, I have with me today, Barbie Haven from Vancouver, Washington. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Um, It's great to talk to you. You're also in your mid forties and what I have been calling pandemic diagnosis. You were diagnosed this year. (laughs) I was diagnosed this year. Yeah, I was. I started having, um, I guess, symptoms well, recognized symptoms that very end of last year, but it wasn't until this year that I actually got a diagnosis. I see. Okay. And so what were some of the things that led you to believe that you might have it? I, I started, I, I started full-time as an entrepreneur. So I, I left the part-time, um, 20 hour a week job that I thought was the reason for why I wasn't as successful as I wanted to be. <laughs> um, Because I thought, you know, once I just have more time, then I'll be able to get more things done. But that wasn't, that didn't happen. Um, So that was November of 2019. And then I just thought, well, you know, it's normal to have a little bit of a transition period to going to work from somebody else to work for yourself. Plus it was winter time. Um, And then I I actually have a friend who um, I was having conversations with and she actually just point blank asked me if I had ever been diagnosed and I was like, no, don't, I, I was surprised to even hear her say that. And so then I started doing a little bit of research, uh, by January, I started thinking like, could I have this? <laughs> could, is, is that possible? And I, um, I actually ended up breaking my toe in January and not being able to work out, which really led a tailspin. Yeah. And so that, that landed me right into the doctor's office where I said something else is going on, you know, aside from the fact that I couldn't work out, which is something I, I knew I did for mental health. Um, I just felt so off and I couldn't put my finger on it. And so I went to the doctor asking for, uh, support and, um, to see someone to find out and get a diagnosis if that wasn't true in fact, true for me. And the doctors were all supportive. She, yeah, they were supportive. Um, I mean, I, I was willing to 
to fight for it if I needed to. <laughs> I was willing to to fight for seeing whoever I needed to see to find out, but it, honestly, I didn't even have to. She um, she did give me the referral. It took a couple of weeks to get to the, get the referral. Um, I think I ended up at the doctor's office in for my mental health in February. I got the referral by early March, but it took me several months to actually call and make the appointment <laughs> because, well, ADD. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't actually get diagnosed until late July. <laughs> got it. Okay. Um, I, I know I remember when I walked into my doctor's office for the consult and I had already had an initial, you know, uh, just exploratory discussion with her, but we had to set aside a separate appointment for the actual consult. And um, I remember walking in there with such test anxiety. I was like, yeah, if, if I fail this, I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel so like seen and understood by the literature and the people and the groups. And I was just panicked that she was actually not going to be supportive. I found that I found that same I had that same experience. I thought, you know, what if I go there and she says I don't have it? Then what? Because I I felt like by the time I had, you know, this by the time I had actually made the appointment to get into the doctor, I'd had six and a half months of researching and you know visiting Facebooks and finding being like, oh my gosh, I'm home. Like these people get me. Like you know and. We don't casually research either. We like deep dive. A hundred percent. I was like, oh my gosh. And I do that. And I do that. And I do that. Yeah. So by the time I got in there, um, but she didn't take, I mean, she was like, yeah, she did. She did her, her questioning. We did a, a full intake on like my history and my childhood and all that stuff, you know, all the things that they do. She give me the test, um, walked me through it in her office. And she said, um, yeah, you have ADHD, um, inattentive ADD and mild depression. I was like, wait, mm, yeah. wait, what? Mild, I have mild depression. I was like, is that like a situational thing? Cause like we're in a pandemic and she's like, no, <laughs> your, your history presents that this is something that you've had off and on your whole life. I'm like, well, she's not wrong about that actually. <laughs> It's really hard to untangle the two as well. You know, I had been treated for, I've been treated on and off for depression and anxiety since university. And yet now looking back with this ADHD diagnosis, it's really just blowing my mind thinking about how much of that depression and anxiety stems from not being diagnosed and not having understanding about how I work. Yeah. Well, and not even knowing yourself, right? Like, yeah. if, like I think back to, some of the things that I like my, my whole life makes sense now, like, and stuff that I've never told anybody or, I mean, I have been talking about it now because, you know, some of those things I was like too embarrassed to tell people, but some things that I didn't tell people, or maybe just some thoughts that I had about why I couldn't do certain things or why I wasn't good at certain things. I, I understand now why I, and, and I can stop beating myself up about it and just create a new plan. Yeah, absolutely. It's there's something yeah, really just about having that forgiveness and and grace with yourself. Mhm. I I did go through a little bit of a period of um I guess sadness about it. Happy to have a diagnosis because, you know, that's more information for me. Now I know now that I know what it is, I can 
do what I need to do. There's that piece of it. But also sort of like, seriously, I'm 47 and nobody knew. Nobody (laughs) ever, like nobody ever thought to question (laughs) at all. Okay. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. My therapist has been trying to get me or she's been trying to get me on board for probably a year or two, always suggesting it. And yet, um, I think I was reluctant because I just assumed it was something that happened to hyperactive young boys. And I didn't feel like I was ever hyperactive as a child. Right. And and didn't realize how much the hyperactivity presents itself in so many different ways, mostly mental and emotional. Mm -hmm. I can so relate to that. I wasn't hyperactive as a child either. And, and yeah, my whole understanding of ADHD was that it was something that you know, was common in, boys and it presented itself in a certain way. Um, having my friend be diagnosed and, and she's also an entrepreneur and she was just, she started by just saying like, you, you just sound just like me. Everything Mm -hmm. that you're telling me that you're struggling with is everything is just like me. And, and so I trusted her and started listening to what she had to say. And I was like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I know. I, I think the more I learn about it, the more I think they're have got to be so many more women who are undiagnosed and have no idea that this is their neurodivergence. Cause I, I yes. have certainly worked with almost all of my clients. I feel like I could go back and say yes, uh, with pretty, you know, with certainty, I attract a certain type of personality to work with me. And I think, you know, there's so many women who deal with especially chronic dieting and yo-yo dieting and body image who are ADHD. And I, Part of me wants to go back and call them all and say, hey, maybe you right? should look into this. Yeah, I've actually um, been, because I'm now diagnosed and, ha- and understand a little bit more of how it actually can present, that is actually something that I've been chatting with some people about. And and I have some um, colleagues and friends that have gotten diagnosis now. Yeah. Because, and so, you know, it's, yeah, I think you're right. There are, there are a whole, there's a whole spectrum of women out there, I think, probably in their 40s, um, that just got missed. They just got missed. I believe it. All right. So now you were on medication or you are on medication. How has that been for you? I am on medication. Um, I, I take Stratera. I take 40 milligrams of Stratera a day. And it's been, it's been good. Um, I, I was trying to talk myself out of needing it. You know, I got the diagnosis and had the option of taking, um, Stratera or I think Adderall was the other one, um, that was offered. Maybe it wasn't Adderall, but it was, it was a stimulant. It was a stimulant. Yeah. I don't think it was Adderall, but it was a stimulant. Um, and I was thinking that I wasn't going to need anything. (laughs) Silly me. Uh, but what I found for me personally was that I was, it was really starting to impact my business. And, and so I just had to get over myself and the fact that I needed some extra help to get myself, you know, in a place where I could even establish a routine that works for me because I wasn't following through with things that were super important, like sending invoices or following up on payments and, things were just slipping through the cracks. And I was like, okay, this is a problem for me. I'm going to have to get some help. 
So it, it has been going well. Um, it took about a month to really, I mean, I noticed it immediately. The way that I describe it to my friends and colleagues is it's like glasses for your brain. That's how mm. it felt for me. It was like, you know, I started taking it and, and then I started doing things that I said I was going to do. Like, and not just in business, business, but more like just in life, like noticing that the water bottle needs to be thrown away and actually throwing it away or not letting the laundry sit and need to be rewashed four times before it goes into the dryer. This, I mean, things like that, that you don't really realize how much those impact your life until you stop doing them. So, so would you say it's like follow through? I love that glasses analogy, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. It's like follow through. It's like my ability to follow through has increased exponentially. And I mean, and it's not perfect. I mean, there are still lots of areas where I feel like I could be better. Um, but I definitely notice a significant difference with taking the meds. And I also do a lot of other self-care, you know, routines. And so part of my, part of this year has been discovering or since starting the meds, having diagnosis and all of those things is discovering, okay, what works for me? Um, in the beginning, I took a lot of, of brain breaks, a lot. I gave myself permission to like, the moment I feel like, like I'm wearing out, I'm going to go take a brain break. And what that looked like in the beginning, you know, I work from home was literally like watching Netflix for 30 minutes. Like I just was like, you just need to check out and plug into a 30 minute show and rest your brain. And then you can go back. And I noticed actually this week that I'm not doing that anymore. I don't, I don't feel like I need it. I don't know if that's because the cumulative effect of following through is that you tend to not be so um, constantly behind in everything that you're trying to do. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. if, if you continue to be able to follow through, if, if my meds help me to follow through with things that are important to me, then they don't stack up the way that they used to stack up. Yeah, I think that was explained to me when I was trying to figure out the logic behind Pomodoro timer, because my when I first thought about it, I thought, you know, why would I want to keep interrupting myself? All I do is interrupt myself. Mm -hmm, <laughs> you know, my mm -hmm. problem is the fact that I'm constantly jumping from one task to another and never actually finishing anything. And yeah. so I, originally, I thought that this idea of breaking time into these small containers and then and then taking a break, I was like, I don't want to break. I don't want to be interrupted. But then once it was explained to me that if you have these sort of intentional interruptions, you will actually, it will help you stick to the one task. And right. then you will actually then come back to it in a more productive manner. Yeah. I still haven't actually gotten on board with the Pomodoro timers, full disclosure. I haven't either. I've, I did. That's one of the first things that my friend told me about. And I haven't done that either. I've been experimenting with a lot of different things. Um, but I, I can see that breaking things into small chunks. Um, I, I tend to just, I do set timers on my phone for certain tasks and, and I have the same challenge as you, which, which is starting something and then not finishing it. So I'm like not having the follow through just to finish what I started what I've been noticing lately is that I'm hyper aware of this. I'm, I'm paying attention to when, when I'm going down the rabbit hole and just becoming more self-aware of when that's happening is actually helping me to stop and reevaluate and then redirect. Yeah, I can see that for sure. 
I feel like there has been a lot of self-awareness about how I operate now through this new lens that has been incredibly helpful. Just, yeah, just being, I think we need labels a lot more than perhaps the average person. (laughs) I, I, I definitely agree with that. I need information. Yeah. This, this to me explains a lot of why I need so much information about everything. It's, it's almost like I need all of the details so that I can make a decision. And I don't, I don't know if that's an ADHD thing or if that's just a me thing, but um, yeah, I, I feel like I just need constant information. So looking back on your life, what are some moments or characteristics of your life growing up where you think, oh, of course that was ADHD and I had no idea? Oh gosh. Um, you know, I had a chronic messy room, chronic messy room, like at, like to the point where I remember as a teenager having just, you know, a trail where I could walk from the, the, the doorway to the closet. Um, and, and I would, I would get it cleaned up, but it would just be messy, like within two days. So like I had a, a really hard time doing that. Um, you know, when I got into like middle and high school, um, especially into high school, if I look back at that era, that age, I did not, I was not a good student in any class that I didn't love. And so I did really well in the classes that I loved and I was super creative. So I loved the reading classes and I liked psychology and all of that, but I did terrible in math. Um, In fact, I had to repeat I think I failed algebra twice and had to repeat a different algebra class like two times, like even like failed summer school algebra. <laughs> like it was like, it was terrible. Um, so yeah, I just, I had a terrible time even starting homework. So I don't know that I ever really did. I mean, maybe that could be why I did so poorly in school. I mean, as a probably like a C student, um, I, I got good enough grades so that I could remain and perform on the dance team. That was my mission. As long as I had enough, a high enough GPA and good enough grades to perform, that's all I cared about. That was your motivation just to, and nothing more, you know, nothing more. (laughs) And I spent a lot of time in my head. I really spent a lot of time in my head. I don't think that I realized how much until maybe even right now, now we're having this conversation. I spent a lot of time in my head and maybe that's the hyperactivity piece, right? I wasn't outwardly hyperactive, but my brain was sure in a lot of different places. Yeah, I know. You know, daydreaming is so often listed as a characteristic of younger ADHDers. And I often, I think back, like, was I a daydreamer? I don't remember. But I also feel like I have so little memory of my life growing up especially in school that I think I Mm -hmm. must have been daydreaming because (laughs) because I don't know what else like I feel like I don't know maybe if this is an ADHD thing or not but I have I have almost no memory of my childhood and again like I'm not I have no idea what that that's just an anomaly or yeah it yeah how did you get into coaching Um, you know, I got into coaching through my own personal development path. So I actually, um, I, 
I found coaching while doing my own recovery from codependency. So the the short version is I grew up in a small town. Um, I grew, actually grew up in a in an alcoholic home. Married my high school sweetheart, who ended up being an addict. So I grew up and married an addict, and I um, we were together for 17 years. And it was after leaving that marriage and um, doing my own personal development, and you know, this is kind of after the therapy came a lot of the intensives and the workshops, I landed in this workshop, this intensive workshop where I heard for the very first time life coach. I was like, wait, what, what's a life coach. And so that's sort of what got me on the path of becoming a life coach was um, having my own experience and how powerful it was to, um, you know, once I'd healed the dysfunction of my life to help me shift my mindset into a way of living more optimally. I always like to say that coaching is takes you, you know, therapy takes you from dysfunctional to functional. Coaching takes you from functional to optimal. Um, and then I niched into health and fitness um, specifically after having my own results and realizing that I just had things that I didn't know. And so it's, it was just a great partnership. I think the reason why I was able to um, get great results and keep them was because I had done so much mindset work. And so that's one of my passions with health coaching and is marrying the two, the life coaching and the health coaching into one so that women and in particular career women and entrepreneurs can stop dieting, right? Stop cutting food groups and all of that and, um, and just have more, more joy and peace and energy and success. And I think also stop thinking that there's some magic pill or solution that is going to solve everything super quickly. I yeah. realize that's a lot, another mentality that perhaps is we're prone to with ADHD, which is the Im- impulsivity and impatience of wanting something to happen immediately and trying to find the fastest route as opposed to really doing the real, the real work. The real work. Yeah. I would a hundred percent agree with that. I think that we, we do, we live in this world of instant gratification and you know, I remember, I remember being on that other side where I was trying to get healthy and I was trying to, to be more, have more energy and all those things. And I remember saying, asking a friend, um, you know, I, I think I was at that point working out like three days a week or something. Um, and not very efficiently either. It was just whatever I was doing. And she was like, well, you're going to have to do more than three days a week. And I remember thinking like, what? (laughs) really? Like I was just like appalled at the idea that I was going to have to move my body in a different way more than three days a week. And now I, I do that every day because it's a part of my lifestyle and because it feels good. And so not because I'm trying to, you know, be a size two or something. I just, I feel good when I move my body in a certain way. It's stuff that they've been telling us for decades. They've been telling us to move your body for 30 minutes a day. I've been hearing that for a long, long time. I think it's so much more motivating when you look at exercise in terms of, like you said, optimization. I mean, really understanding the fact that it is the means to an end in terms of feeling better physically and also feeling better about yourself. I mean, it, it's it's just jumpstarts so many things when you 
So I'm not even, I need to start this thought over. <laughs> Sorry. You're okay. <laughs> I think it's so important when we look at exercise in terms of how it feeds us and how it helps us as opposed to thinking about the fact that it's going to shrink our bodies in some way. Yeah. I, I, I tell my clients, I, I want to know what their idea is in their head because, you know, a lot the, they have this idea of what number you think you're supposed to be or whatever. And that's just so that I understand where they're coming from. But at the end of the day, what I like to teach is that food is fuel and movement is medicine and, and it's preventative. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and if you can get yourself to a place where you are creating the lifestyle, which takes belief in yourself to be able to do that, which is why mindset is so important and the work there, then you will, you literally will wake up and crave it. You will crave that movement and it will just become part of who you are. Mm -hmm. And it won't be attached to a number on a scale and you won't have to beat yourself up because you had pizza on Friday night or glass of wine. Like you won't have to feel like you have to, you have to punish yourself for living. It's just, you just live. I like to, I liken it to flossing. I spent so many years avoiding flossing and going to the dentist and getting a slap on the hand because I wouldn't do it. And then I finally got into the habit of doing it. And and then it becomes, you know, it became so essential. I can't even imagine not doing it now. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. I think that we, you know, our brains are wired for survival. And if we have been making up a story about why fitness is hard or why exercise is hard or why movement is hard, then it makes it incredibly difficult to even start um, doing that. So, you know, I, I just like to talk about the, the whole thing in my view is really about self-care and I'd love to move the conversation away from whether or not you worked out today to whether or not you took care of yourself because self-care is not just working out. It's all kinds of things. It's, it's the whole thing. It's all of it. The mindset, the spiritual, the financial, the, the friends, the fit, it's all the complete package. Mm -hmm. So what do you find your clients struggle with the most when they come to you? Hmm. I think the biggest struggle initially is all or nothing thinking. Um, maybe that's second to wanting to have a magic pill, like, you know, wanting to be able to just have, take something and have it just magically be wherever they want to be. But, um, the trap that I see clients fall into a lot, it, um, and the reason why they come to me is they're stuck in this all or nothing thinking. And what that does for them is it, it keeps them continually goal hopping and it keeps them in that self-sabotage mode because, They'll start on a Monday and by Wednesday they're, they have in their terms cheated, right? I say treats, not cheats. So they've treated or they've missed a workout or whatever. And then they, um, they think that they have to start over. Like they literally think they have to start over, but there's, that's painful because in their brain, them starting over equals failure. And instead, there's so much that goes into this and I'm trying to concise, make it concise, but I'm not doing a very good job of that. But there's so much that goes into it because their idea of starting over means that they have failed and then they don't see failure as 
feedback. Instead, they see failure as a reflection of who they are. So it's a kind of a lot wrapped into one, but I would say like the all or nothing thinking starts that spiral of self-doubt and self-criticism and the negative self-talk, which leads to either quitting altogether and just giving up or starting over. And because they never stick with it long enough, they never actually see a result unless, you know, they work on the mindset, which is what I do with them. Very well put. I love that. And I like the, how you framed the, the idea that failure is you know, the people tend to use the word fail, failure as part of their mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I see they, they look at failure as an indication that there's something wrong with them. You know, like that somehow they, instead of, instead of failure as feedback, they think that failure equals flawed and flawed equaling not good enough, right? We all have this inner critic, not good enough message that is just part of human nature, I think. And it's perpetuated by this, the ideals that we see in society that are completely unattainable. And, you know, the idea that in order to be enough, you have to look a certain way and act a certain way and dress a certain way and have the right, all the things that we see. And it's just so exhausting. It's so exhausting. And I know because I did that. I lived that life for a long time of trying to be what I thought everyone else wanted me to be. It's just so much easier to be yourself. And yourself isn't perfect. Nobody is. So if you could get to a place where you can embrace that, your your real self, then it makes the whole self-care journey so much more enjoyable. Any other parents out there who have struggled to instill good financial habits into their kids? I know I have. And that's why I'm so excited to tell you about the sponsor of today's episode, Go Henry by Acorns, the smart debit card and app for kids 6 through 18. With Go Henry, kids can learn about money, set spending and saving goals, and even track chores and earn allowance money right within the app. They learn the value of money by using their Go Henry debit cards, while we as parents can set spend limits and help guide their journey while staying informed every step of the way. It gives me so much peace of mind to know that I'm using a smart tool to proactively teach my kids about money and prepare them for future success. Set your kids up for success and get started today at gohenry.com slash women ADHD. Again, that's gohenry.com slash women ADHD. TNCs apply. Renews from $4.99 per month unless canceled. Ready for a career in behavioral health? Earn your online degree at Herzing University. Choose from health and human services, psychology, or social work programs. Gain the skills to work, coordinate, and manage nonprofits. Secure a bachelor's in psychology to study mental health or advance your social work career through our online master's of social work. Let us help you become a social change agent. Your future starts now at Herzing University. Text HEALTH to 85109. That's HEALTH to 85109. Or visit herzing.edu. I love how you combine that self-care with the body and emotions and our brain and you carry it over into business. You see, you know, you work with business leaders and entrepreneurs. What is that connection for you? Yeah, I think the connection for me is that um, the, the women that I work with want to make an impact, right? They want to make an impact in the world. You can't do that if you don't take care of yourself. 
I, if you are not putting yourself first and you're constantly people pleasing and saying, you know, all of the things that go in that some women can have a tendency to do and you're not taking care of yourself, then you're really not showing up as your best in order to serve. And don't we want to be able to be our best in order to serve? I know that I can't serve my clients if I don't fill my cup first. I won't have the energy to do it. And so for me, um, you know, I've kind of come full circle. I've been on both sides. I've been an employee. I've, I've worked in corporate. Um, and then now to being an entrepreneur. And I would say it's even maybe not more important, but it sure feels, it feels like it because I'm a solopreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. If I am out, my business is out. If I throw my back out and I can't do whatever I need to do because I have to be stuck laying on the floor, that's a problem. I can't meet my clients. I won't be able to serve. If I am wearing myself and burning myself out so much that I just don't have the energy for anything else or anyone else, then my family suffers and that's not fair to them either. So I like, I like the, I like the connection in the business world because I really think that for so long we have seen, and I do think this is shifting. I'm happy to be seeing it shifting. Um, but we have seen so many people equate success with doing, doing and hustling and do more and give more and all of those things. And it comes at a really high price of your own caring of yourself rather than focusing on being if I, if I am focusing on who I need to be, well, then I'm able to pay attention to if I, all those things that go into the self-care funnel, if that makes sense. And when you talk about boundary setting too, I know boundaries are something that are is difficult for people with ADHD. We tend to say yes to everything and we're people pleasers. How would you help women with ADHD when it comes to boundary setting? Yeah, I, this is actually one of my favorite things to help people with because I had no boundaries and it's one of the things that I, I, it's one of the first things I learned how to do. That's when I first started my own path of personal wellness, I didn't even really understand what a boundary was. Like I actually had to look it up because <laughs> nobody taught me. I didn't know. Um, here's what I've learned. The, the, is that your, your ability to set boundaries is directly tied to your alignment with your values. So for, for anyone, ADHD or not, if you're not living in alignment with your values, it's going to be really hard for you to set boundaries. So what I like to do is do a values assessment. I like to help people get to the core of what their actual values are today, not the ones that were given to them growing up or that you got from school or mom or dad or church or whatever society, what you actually value. Because once you have clarity about that, then you can see pretty easily where you might be out of alignment in your life and with how you're showing up. Not saying it's easy to have the conversations that you might need to have, um, but you can't even have those conversations if you're not even aware of what they need to be. That's great. That makes sense. I hope. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I think 
I think boundaries are super important, especially as women and especially for mothers, <laughs> um, because we so often put ourselves last. Yeah, I and I I feel like I've 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 been practicing this for so long now that it's honestly is just kind of second nature to me. Um, I, and I've I feel like I've gotten really good at it, which I'm I'm really proud of. Now there are other areas that I could <laughs> definitely work on a little bit more. Um, but with boundaries, I really think that it's just something to be practiced and you, and you'll, you'll change and shift as you grow, right? You'll just change and shift as you grow. And I definitely agree. Like for, for mothers of young children or really of any, of any age children, mine are 24 and 20 now. So like my boundaries that I set with my kids look differently than they did when they were little. In fact, I don't think I had strong boundaries when they were little. Um, but I think it's just, you know, again, coming back to that self-awareness to even know where you might actually have what I call boundary leaks in your life. Mm. And if you're constantly running on empty, if you're constantly feeling exhausted, if you're constantly feeling, feeling burned out, if you're making decisions out of obligation versus or fear versus your true desire, those are strong indications that you have some boundary leaks in your life. That's a great phrase. I haven't heard that before. Boundary leaks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Breach in the fortress. Exactly. Well, th- I think that because of the work that I've done to heal from codependency and and detach from an addict in my life, there's there's a lot of, I don't know how familiar you are with that whole, with the, that could be a whole nother episode. Um, there's a lot of work in accepting personal responsibility, a ton, a ton of work in accepting personal, which is basically what boundary setting is all about is accepting personal responsibility for what you're willing to do and not do and accept and not accept. And, um, and then not taking on what doesn't belong to you when someone is unhappy with the boundaries that you set. Oh, that's really good. Say that again. Not you're, you're not taking on what doesn't belong to you. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, the, one of the, my, um, I was actually just having a conversation with my son about this. My my kids now call me for coaching, which is really kind of cool actually. (laughs) And I was, I was having a conversation with my son, um, this week and we were talking about boundary setting and he was going to be setting this boundary with somebody And I I said to him, now, just a reminder to you, it's your responsibility to set the boundary. And that's great that you're going to do that. But it's also your responsibility to maintain the boundary. And one of the common mistakes that people make is they think that they just set this boundary and that that's that's the end of it. And that's just not true. It's always your responsibility to maintain the boundary. And that can look like repeating yourself over and over and over again, if that's what you choose. Or it's just more information for you to make a different decision about the relationship that you're in. Mm -hmm. I think this is especially true with problematic family members. Yeah. Where do you want to spend your energy, right? Yeah. Well, and just the, you know, relationships that are going to be there for your life, the rest of your life, these aren't people you can ghost. So you need to come up with healthy, healthy ways in which you can react and, and um, engage with them. So true. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then in terms of ADHD, you know, I'm, I'm still figuring it out. I'm still figuring that out because I'm so newly diagnosed. Um, it's actually been something that I've been thinking about a lot. Like, how can I help this, the person be that does have ADHD in a more, I guess, ADHD friendly way <laughs> when it comes to, cause I don't struggle with those same things, but I don't know if that's because I really love personal development. Like it's, I like, I dig it. I love learning about myself. I love the whole idea of being self-aware. I don't love having difficult conversations, but I do, I do love the learning. And I don't know if that makes it easier for me. You know, they say that with inattentive ADD, this is my understanding. So if you have a different one, I'd love to hear it. But my understanding is that it's easier for us to be all in on the things that we love and really hard to be in, in on the things that we don't love. I happen to love fitness. So it's really easy for me to get up in the morning and do my workout because I love it. I've always liked fitness, but somebody who doesn't might have a harder time creating that habit. I think one thing I've thought a lot about since my diagnosis is finding the motivation and realizing that if something felt difficult or, or if something just felt uninteresting to me, I hadn't found the motivation yet. Just like you were talking about with your grades and the dance team, you know, Uh every, every act, every task has, I I sort of look at it as as a puzzle now. And I think, how am I going to get this accomplished? What is my motivation going to be if I can't naturally already find one and become hyper-focused? If it's something Uh I'm avoiding, then I can now think of, you know, I can more consciously think and label it like you were saying before. Uh, about, you know, I can sort of identify what the problem is much clearer now than I think I used to. Right. Yeah. I, that really resonates with me. I, that really resonates with me a lot. I think I've been doing the same thing as sort of like, okay, now that I know why I'm struggling in this area, now I'm going to try different strategies and see what works, what sticks, what doesn't, you know, what I'm, I, one thing that I'm not going to do anymore is buy a bunch of new planners because I don't use them. And now I know why, now I know why I have, I have, I have lots of unfilled planners. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's true. Oh, I, I never knew why that was. Now I, now I understand, you know, and, and it's, I, it's, I, I kind of laugh about it because, um, it's fun to have, this sounds silly maybe, but it's, it's kind of fun to have the diagnosis because I can take myself less seriously in some areas that I was being too serious in. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. I was going to say that, that desire, why, I think the reason why we keep buying planners and never using them, and I say we, because I'm sure this is a very common issue. The reason why we buy planners and never use them is because we have this overwhelming preoccupation with bringing order to our lives. Heck we yes. love automation. We're constantly trying to organize because we feel so out of control. That is because so true. Yeah, there's so many parts of our lives that feel misunderstood and out of control. And so I think for, you know, 
there before diagnosis, there was a sense of like really trying to like rope things in and get order and understanding because everything feels so out of control. So now with an awareness and an understanding of, okay, this is my brain. This is how it works. I'm not defective. I'm just different. You can have a sense of humor about it. You can say things like planners rather than thinking I, something's wrong with me because I can't figure out how to use a planner. You can now step back and say, planners make no sense to me. I'm not going to use them. (laughs) Moving on. Next. Exactly. That is so true. I was just going to say, you know, I think our default tends to approach most situations with this idea, like what is wrong with me, as opposed to thinking, okay, this is who I am. This is the situation. How can I best serve myself and my personality? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's just, I so completely resonate with that. And, you know, in my corporate career, I was an executive assistant. So, you know, I really gravitated towards like office settings and um, systems and strategies and all of those things. And I excelled really well in that environment, um, probably because it was so structured and organized and orderly. And I, uh, and I just loved all of that. So when all of that was gone, <laughs> I, what I've learned is I've had to create my own new systems. And they don't involve planners. No. They don't. <laughs> this is where coaching comes in. I think that was a big one for me because it makes sense to me that people with ADHD like being entrepreneurs and don't necessarily like working nine to five jobs long term for other people. You know, like it makes sense to me that a lot of people with ADHD become entrepreneurs. But at the same time, it is so difficult to keep that structure and that automation when you're accountable to yourself and your own business. And that's why I think that was another light bulb that went off for me where I thought I like coaching is essential. And and it obviously it makes sense why I became a coach because I think I think so highly of it. And yeah, I think I'm I love how many ADHD women out there are also coaches because it's it seems like a perfect combination. I think it's great because you can, you have a lot of freedom and flexibility in how you live your life. You know, you, you, well, I think of it as it's kind of the best of both worlds. Like I get to be creative. I don't feel like I get super bored with what I'm doing. Um, and I, I too have a, a high value around coaching. I think it's so incredibly necessary for anyone who really wants to optimize their life in whatever, whatever area that you're trying to optimize in having a coach to partner with along the way to help you see your blind spots. I just think is essential. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say have been some of your favorite ADHD uh, resources or any books or podcasts that really have helped you through this year? Um, you know, the, um, the Facebook group, and I, I, I think it's called Female ADHD Entrepreneurs, has been super helpful. That's a Facebook group. Um, that that one I love. Um, books. I don't. I haven't really dove into a lot of books on ADHD or or even podcasts a whole bunch. I I did go down some some rabbit holes with you know, just random videos that I honestly can't remember. (laughs) I wish, I wish that I could. Um, but mostly I think I have been finding myself in communities and seeing myself in communities. There's, um, 
there's a couple different Facebook communities, but the one that I actually like the most is the one that's the female entrepreneurs, um, ADHD female for female entrepreneurs, because I am one. Um, and I resonate with that a lot. Um, and then just, you know, some days I'll just Google. I've even, I've even found some sort of humor and fun in seeing some TikTok videos where people are describing what it's like to be ADHD. And I'm like, yep, that's me. So a lot of the, a lot of what I've done is just sort of my own self-awareness. Um, in terms of my own self-care though, there is a couple things that I do. I actually, uh, in addition to taking my Stratera, I also, um, did get into some essential oils and I'm still exploring those, but I do use some essential oils and some, um, essential oils. I think it's called a vitality pack that just to help with brain health and just researching different brain health issues, um, to help me make the connection in my brain, I guess. I think I still have a lot to learn about exactly what works and what doesn't work for me mm-hmm. and what resources are out there. And I think also real looking back and realizing how many things you already intuitively came to as solutions in your life, like exercise is a big one, you know, yeah. and, and, uh, scheduling and, and self-care. I mean, these are all yeah. things sort of just over the course of our lives realize what does and doesn't work. Yeah. I don't know if this is true for you, but I used to say that I'm an extroverted introvert and that I, cause I'm, I've always been pretty productive of my energy. And the, the more I think about it now, I actually wonder if the reason I'm so protective of my energy is because, is because it takes a lot for me to be in space with people and think, you know, like, like it's my brain. I don't know if that makes sense. Huh. I wonder if it, is it the stimulation issue? Cause I know I've, I cannot stand groups and parties and I've always been much better with like one-on-one friendship. Um, you know, over having conversation over dinner or, you know, yeah, like, I, I've been very bad. I, I've never had like a group of girlfriends. <laughs> I have, I have a small group of girlfriends, but yeah, I think it might, that's what I'm wondering if it, if it's an overstimulation issue. I know that, um, you know, I want to be invited, but I'm probably not coming. And I don't know if that's the introvert in me or if that is, uh, you know, just me. Here's why, this is why I wonder if it's tied to ADHD because I, I don't know how I'm going to feel on that day. I don't know if I'm going to have the energy that day. And so I'm reluctant to say yes to things in advance if they are large gatherings, because I don't know how I'm going to feel that day. And it really just depends on how productive I've been. Was I able to follow through? Did, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it feels like it's dependent on a lot of things and I just don't know. And so I'm, I'm pretty reserved when it comes to that kind of thing. Oh yeah. There's a lot in there. There's the sort of emotional regulation. There's the rejection sensitivity, um, the stimulation issue. I think there's a lot, we could probably have an entire other conversation about relationships and friendships. Yeah. And the ADHD brain. 
I had a boyfriend once tell me that I was too sensitive. Um, and that, and, and I actually haven't done a lot of research on the, the, um, rejection sensitivity. I haven't done a lot of reading on that yet, but I wonder, maybe I do have a little bit of that going on. Mm -hmm. It's mostly just assuming that everybody hates you because you, you know, forgot to call them or something or (laughs) I well you know I used to I used to struggle with that but that's through the the therapy and through the work that I did to I I mean I guess I thought that was a codependency issue I didn't realize that maybe that could be an ADHD trait as well um but I don't I don't over obsess over that kind of thing anymore but I sure used to I remember being somebody who, if I ever heard anybody whispering anywhere in pro- my proximity, I automatically thought they were talking about me and it was all bad. I just, you know, and if I didn't, yeah, and if somebody didn't message me back right away, I would make up a huge story about it. And I I just am so far removed from how I used to be about that. And so I don't know that that's ADHD for me in particular, but... You've done a lot of work. Yeah, maybe I just have put in a, a lot of the work to manage that because managing your, you know, we we all still get triggered in a lot of different areas of your life, of our lives. It's just a matter of, are you someone who is able to manage those triggers or do they run your life? So we have sort of talked on and off about the coaching, but tell me about your business and where people can find you and whether you have any. Th- upcoming I think you have an upcoming workshop right I do um so yeah I help career women and entrepreneurs um really just create a sustainable self-care plan so that they have more energy so that they have more joy and peace in business and in life Um, because my belief is how you do anything is how you do everything so helping women put themselves at the top of their priority list and um just in it, it translates into all areas of life. Um, I do have a Facebook community called the desired lives collective. Um, and in that community, I do, um, offer resources and free resources, resources. Um, I do weekly trainings, um, and fun challenges. And that's actually where I will be teaching a free workshop, um, for, women who are looking for what I call a total body transformation, um, which isn't necessarily really about your, your physical body. It's, it's everything, right? It's your total body, your mind, body, spirit, all of it. So that's coming up actually next week, um, which would be December 14th. What's today? Today's the seventh. That's a week from today. Yeah. This this won't be out by then. So, okay. Yeah. So that's, I I do. Yeah, that's all right. Um, but I, I run various challenges in that group and, and provide a lot of free resources in that community. Um, people can connect with me on Instagram. They can connect with me on my website, desiredlives.com. And I'm always happy to do a, um, complimentary strategy call. If somebody just, you know, wants to, explore the option, the idea of seeing if maybe we would be a good fit to work together. That's something that I can offer as well. Awesome. Uh, I'm 
still curious about energy leadership and core energy. Yes. Did we cover that? Or is- we did not. No, I should talk about that. So core energy coaching, um, I'm an energy, this is a mouthful, I'm an energy leadership index master practitioner. So certified professional coach and, and E-L-I-M-P, that's what that stands for, energy leadership index master practitioner. And what that means is I, I help get to the core energy behind what you're saying and thinking and doing. So one of the great ways to explain it would be, you know, let's say you ask somebody how they're doing and they say to you, fine. And their words, right, their words are telling you that they're fine, but you can sense in their energy that they're not fine. So core energy coaching gets to the energy behind our actions. Um, What I use is a tool called... um, Um, a leadership index assessment, energy leadership index assessment. And what that essentially does is helps to identify your filters, the way that you perceive the the world and how that is basically impacting your energy that you put out into the world in a positive way or in a not so great way. So like the, the chart is levels one through seven, and I won't go into the, the whole gist of it, but I can tell you that right now in 2020, we're seeing a lot of level one and two energy, which is hopelessness, apathy, depression, level one. Level two is a lot of resistance and anger um, and conflict. And those energy levels that really constrict and break down in your body, they keep you from accessing your higher conscious thinking. What what I do is I help people identify where these, what I call energy blocks, where these energy blocks are showing up in their life, which is an indication into um, how you're showing up in the world and, and, and what's creating extra stress for you. And once we can alleviate some of that extra stress for you, you actually have access to higher conscious thinking. Once you have access to higher conscious thinking, you can identify your boundary leaks and you can identify that it all kind of goes together, right? You can identify your values. And so that's a piece of the puzzle so that you can do the mindset work that is long lasting and you can, and basically gives you a framework for you to be able to not only see how you show up in the world, but see how others show up in the world. You'll, you'll start to notice what energy level you think others are in, and then you can adjust accordingly. Is this person somebody that you really want to spend your time with on a regular basis, or do you need to set a boundary? Because we, when we spend our time with people who suck the energy out of us, it makes it hard for us to show up as our best self. That is fascinating. It's reminding me a bit of just what we were talking about in terms of reframing your strengths uh, and weaknesses in terms of um, greater understanding. Yeah. ADHD diagnosis. It all comes down to, you know, your, your perception of the world around you. And I think part of the reason why I personally have had um, an okay time this year. Like, like I've had my own challenges, but I haven't been, I haven't felt beat down by what's happening in 2020 or by what I see other people posting on social media or any of that stuff, because I, I, I don't put myself in the energy of it. 
where do you want your energy to be, right? We're all energy and like, like attracts like. So um, when you can identify your own energy blocks, then you can more quickly get yourself out of them. Not to say that we won't get triggered into having resentment or anger or, you know, whatever those feelings are, but you just won't stay there. You just don't need to stay there as long. Right. Having the tools to get you back. And then just seeing, identifying what your own personal patterns are. It's, there's, um, there's a very common pattern for the women that I work with that tends to be, and what, what it tends to look like in terms of the, the energy levels is they're, they're over givers. They're giving people, they're very giving people to the point that they reach burnout. Then they feel resentment, which drops them down into that, you know, toxic catabolic energy. And then they, that doesn't feel good either. So they manage to get themselves back up to uh, something that feels a little bit better, but then they repeat the cycle and they do it all over again. Mm. And that's, that's the cycle of self-sabotage. Wow. That is fascinating. Yeah. Super interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for spending this hour chatting with me. It's been really great talking to you and learning more about what you do and how you're helping other women. And sounds like you have an amazing business. And thank you so much. It's been so fun to spend this hour with you. I appreciate the opportunity and um, yeah, I'm excited for what's next for all of us. There you have it. So thank you so much for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the women and ADHD podcast. If you like this podcast, I would really appreciate some feedback. So please leave me a review or simply head on over to Apple Podcasts and give me five stars. Also, please subscribe and make sure to share it to help us reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower. And they may be struggling and they don't even know why. If you are a woman who was recently diagnosed with ADHD and would like to be interviewed as a guest, I would love to interview you, so please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find out all the show notes from this episode at womenandadhd.com slash episodes. And you can follow this podcast on Instagram at womenandadhd. You can also find out more about me and my anti-diet health coaching program at worthitwithkatie.com. Make sure to sign up for your free copy of my Thank You Body Technique. This simple primer teaches you how to reset your mood and improve your relationship with your body quickly and easily through breathing, yoga, and even aromatherapy. Okay, I will see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding her neurodiversity and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.